Man, the kids are getting their cookies. They know what's up, right? Um, hopefully you received a cookie on your way in this morning as well. Just our little gift to you, just to say uh, Merry Christmas, and we're glad that you're here to uh, celebrate this with us today. I'm going to invite you, uh, what we're going to do is a couple things. We're going to have a time to let the kids get out and get settled. If you're in here, uh, children fifth grade and under and want to head out to the classrooms, uh, you can do that in just a moment. We're going to spend time gathering uh, with each other, greeting, is the word I was looking for, greeting each other, saying hi, uh, and uh, then we're going to have a, a, a welcome video, and when that starts, we're going to invite you to head back to your seats, and we'll continue in our worship service together this morning. So would you stand and greet one another this morning? Richard? Richard? Good morning. wasn't me. says we are preparing for the full coming of God's kingdom Isaiah 35 verses 1 and 2 the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad the desert shall rejoice and blossom 
Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Prepare the way for the Lord. We light the candle of hope. We light the candle of love. We light this candle in joy. The joy that we have in Jesus our Savior. Congregation says, prepare then the way of the Lord. Too fast, sorry. <laughs> God, God of light and love, you rejoice over your children with singing. Give us patience as we prepare for your coming. Strengthen our hearts to bear with one another as your body on earth. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn that back on. We're glad that you're here with us today. The opportunity that we have to, um, to celebrate together, to worship together, to spend time in God's Word. Uh, we are in uh, not only uh, having fun with our children's performance, which they did a great job, didn't they? But we are also in our third week of Advent. In Advent, uh, in Advent we are preparing, we're waiting, we're anticipating the arrival and the birth of Jesus. Uh, mornings like this are fun, uh, at least they're fun for me, because people are, they're kind of excited, right? You're excited about being here. Uh, there's more people in the front couple of rows, right? You're, you're up here. There's, there's an energy in the room. Uh, there's this anticipation of what is to come, right? Because it's exciting. It is uh, anticipatory, right? We, we are, we're excited about what we are going to see and what we are going to experience. Um, I really like how uh, the, the parents and grandparents are uh, up here in the front so they can do what? So they can not only watch, but they can... Take pictures, right? And why do we take pictures of events? So we can remember them, right? We can, remember, we can tell a story with them. Maybe we can share those pictures with someone who is not here so we can tell the story, oh, look, and then they did this, and that, right? That's what we do. We take these pictures. We capture the moment. And, and we do that in a way in which we forget, don't we? We do that because we forget. If we could forget, if we could remember everything, we wouldn't have to take the pictures, right? We wouldn't have to hold that moment in time. This morning, I want to tell you a story about someone you've probably heard of before, but you probably do not associate him with the Christmas story or with Advent. And to look at his life, I want to examine three pictures, three snapshots, if you will, as we look to remember his life, and help us to explore his story. We're going to look at the story of John the Baptist in three snapshots. Snapshot number one. When we first read uh, through the, uh, about John, we find it in Luke chapter one. And interestingly enough, the beginning of John's story is very similar to the beginning of Jesus' story. They have some very interesting parallels. An angel of the Lord, Gabriel, comes to the barren couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were both described as being upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. 
And Gabriel tells them that they will have a son. And sure enough, Elizabeth conceives, and she is pregnant with a son, a son who will be called John. Six months into her pregnancy, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel again, he comes to Elizabeth's relative, a virgin by the name of Mary, and tells her that she will give, become pregnant and give birth to a son, and she is to give him the name Jesus. Only she will conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And after this takes place, uh, Mary goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth, and upon hearing Mary's voice, the text tells us that the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John, leaps when Elizabeth hears the voice. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she, she hear, when she hears the voice. And so the first snapshot, and just kind of take this picture in your mind and hold on to it for a moment, is that John the Baptist, he was excited about Jesus even before he was born or before Jesus was born. All right? That's snapshot number one. Snapshot number two. If you fast forward, forward several years, we see that John, now known as John the Baptist because he was baptizing people, he is grown and he's preaching to people out in the wilderness. He is telling them about the Messiah, the one who is to come. He reminds the people what the prophets had said about the Messiah, and he called them to repent of their sins, to prepare for the coming of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 3, he's referred to as the one uh, spoken of in Isaiah chapter 40, where it says, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And John is one fired up guy, all right? If you read through that text, you find out that John, he, he's excited about preparing the way of the Lord. He's telling them about the coming Messiah. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River after they confess of their sins. People are excited, and they are eagerly anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. But when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to John to see what he was doing, the Pharisees and the Sadducees being the religious leaders of the day, John, he didn't like them much at that point, so he kind of laid into them. He called them all kinds of things. You see, they didn't like what John was doing, but that didn't deter John. He was determined. He was assertive. He was confident. And with a lot of uh, vibrato, he exclaims to them, you brood of vipers. I just love that phrase, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you just want to say that to somebody, right? You brood of vipers. You know? So that's what John said. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You see, John knew that, that they knew the Old Testament prophecies. And that's what the prophecies had told them. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Can you just see John out there saying this to the people? Yeah, right? He is on fire. He is ready to go. He is confident in what he is saying. He is sold out to Jesus in his beliefs, in the Messiah. No hesitation, no worry, no concern. He's all in. That's snapshot number two. Then we jump to snapshot number three, and you fast forward a little bit farther. Not as far as big a jump as the last time, but we arrive in Matthew chapter 11. And I want to invite you to, if you brought your Bible with you, to, to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Or there should be a, a blue Bible in a seat uh, pocket there in front of you. Uh, and turn there, uh, we're going to look at this snapshot, and to do that, it's helpful to have maybe 
uh, the pictures that go around it. Like, we're going to look at this picture, but it's good to have these pictures as well leading up to the story. So uh, it's important to note that Matthew, when he's writing his gospel, the story of Jesus, he's writing with this Jewish audience in mind. His main purpose is to prove to his Jewish writers that Jesus is the Messiah. And he does this primarily by showing that Jesus was a descendant of the line of David, and how through his life and his ministry, Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament scriptures that they held very dear. He is the one of whom the prophets spoke. He is the promised Messiah. All things that are very important to the Jewish audience, to the Jewish readers, it was important. And so he told them, this is what has happened. If you begin reading back in chapter 8 of, of Matthew, you, you would find Jesus ministering to people and healing people and, and performing miracles. In chapter 9, he continues to do that. He calls Matthew to be his disciple. Uh, people are asking him questions, and he's giving them answers. Jesus tells them that the, the kingdom is, is near and that the kingdom needs a lot of workers, but there are very few workers. And then in Matthew 10, he sends out his disciples to be doing some of that work. And in verse 7, he tells them this. He says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. In verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. In verse 32, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Which leads us into this text in Matthew chapter 11, where we find Jesus in the region of Galilee. And this is when Snapshot 3 begins to start to take focus for us. Beginning in verse 2, the text says this. When John, who was where? Who was in prison. Now there's a backstory there that we'll touch on in a minute. But when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, here's the third snapshot. Remember snapshot number 2? Right? Now we have snapshot number three. We no longer find John out proclaiming that the Messiah is to come, drawing clouds in the, de- in the desert region, rebuking the religious leaders, and displaying this assertiveness he once did. Instead of being confident, John appears to be confused about who the Messiah is, right? He, he appears to be discouraged and probably even depressed. He's no longer out there telling people about Jesus, but he is in prison. He's confined and alone. And from this attitude of concern and probably even some doubt, John asked the question, are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? Should we expect someone else? You see, John was arrested because he told the king that what the king was doing was wrong and he shouldn't be doing it. Well, you tick off the king, what happens? You get thrown in jail. At least that's what happened to him, right? And so he's no longer free. He's in chains, probably in a, in a dark dungeon somewhere, and he's wondering what to make of the reports that he was receiving about Jesus. You go back to snapshot number two, G, he was expecting Jesus to come with fire and a winnowing fork, right? That's what the text says, to clear out the threshing floor and to burn the chaff. And we read that, do you guys know what that means, winnowing fork, burn the chaff? Some of you do. And who, who knows that? Just, you know, you can be smart, it's okay. Like four of you. Okay, so... Those are agricultural terms. I grew up on a farm. I kind of know what this is. We didn't have to go through this, these steps because, you know, modern equipment and things. But, but this is the idea of separating the good from the bad, and that's what's happening. The, the winnowing fork, you would, you would beat the, the grain, the wheat in this case, and it would separate the hole from the wheat or the chaff from the wheat, and you'd get rid of all the dirt and all the stuff that you didn't want so you could keep the things that you did want, Right? You could keep that which was good. And a common way to do that was to throw 
fire at it as you're kind of throwing it up in the air, and then all the dirt and little pieces of stuff would burn up, and the grain would be fine. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what he's talking about. So John is expecting Jesus to come in and go, the good stuff stays, the bad people, what happens? (laughs) They're going to get burned up with fire, right? That's what he's calling for. Jesus, are you doing this? When John heard about what Jesus was doing, he didn't hear a lot about fire, did he? He was wondering, are, are you the one to come? Or should I be looking for someone else, Jesus? Are, are you really the one that, that I've been waiting for? Or are you going to be like the ones who came before you and falsely claimed that they were the ones? And it's not going to end well for you or for us who believe in you. And there in that dark prison, he was alone. And I, I think he probably began to wonder, why am I in chains? Why is my life on the line? When is God going to begin doing what I told people he was going to begin doing. When is this new kingdom going to come to be? Am I wrong about this Jesus, or is the kingdom really coming? And while I can't speak for you, when I read that about John, there's something that just resonates in me. Because there are things that happen in my life and in this world that I just have to ask the question, is Jesus the one Is Jesus the one that we really should be looking at? Because if so, then then why do people have to suffer? Why are people hungry? Why do we fight and kill? Why is there sickness and cancer? Why can't communities get along? Why are we so divided? Maybe the baby in the manger really isn't the answer to the world's problems. And I think we ask, like John did, is Jesus the one? Is he really bringing in the kingdom of God? What I find so amazing is the answer that Jesus gives to John's disciples. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, well, what? Of course, right? He he gently answers the question. And in verse 4 of Matthew 11, he tells them this. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble or fall away on account of me. Jesus reminds John of what the prophet Isaiah had said concerning the Messiah. The same thing that John knew. The same text that that John was proclaiming earlier in in Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter 61. And he, he gives John exactly the information he needs to hear. Maybe not what he wants to hear, but he gives him what he needs to hear. He confirms that, yes, I am the coming king. Confirmation that what Jesus is doing is in accordance to God's plan even if it's not turning out the way John expected. Things really are changing. Jesus wanted John to understand that they are changing, and they can be seen if you look at what Jesus is doing. In his answer, we see what happens when people come into contact with a God who loves them. Things begin to return to the way God intended for them to be from the very beginning. There is a restored relationship between God and man. Look at, look at what the text says. You see, God didn't create eyes to be blind. He created them to see. He didn't create legs to be crippled but to walk and to run or skin to be full of sores for ears to be unable to hear. He didn't create our bodies so that they could be racked by cancer or other illnesses. He created us to be whole. And he certainly didn't create us to die. Everywhere Jesus went, he left in his tracks the signs of the fact that God had come into the world himself and he'd come to set things right again. And Jesus gave us a glimpse of what it is in the kingdom. 
He gave us a glimpse of what is important to God when he talks about the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus also said to John, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And at that very moment, I have to think John probably felt pretty poor. In that dark prison, alone with all of his doubts, he's saying, John, the kingdom of God is coming, and and I'm the one who's bringing it. I am the Messiah. And the amazing good news is that Jesus Christ doesn't just bring about the kingdom of God in, in some abstract way, but he's bringing it to you and to me. He brings it in ways that we would never expect him to bring it into our lives. We expect, or at least I'll speak for me, I, I often expect this grand entrance of God into my life, right? We, we, I've heard people often say, well, if God would just show up, right? And I have to think God's up there going, did that, right? But we want God to show up in our life. And, and, and when we think of the birth of Jesus, we, we expect him to show up in this, uh, this fanfare, right? This, this big to-do, but it's, it's not that way. Instead, he arrives in a, in a humble sta- stable with smelly shepherds and animals are the ones giving testimony to his birth. We expect a king to establish his kingdom with power, but instead Jesus establishes his kingdom in weakness. We expect a ruler on a stallion, and we receive a servant on a donkey. We, we expect the king to rule from a jewel-encrusted throne, you know, ruling high above, but instead Jesus rules his kingdom from the cross. And on the cross is where Jesus showed his great love for us. It is there that he established his kingdom, that suffering and death that doesn't seem right to us was the way in which we could have a restored relationship. Through the cross, Jesus addressed our, uh, our greatest need. It's there that he mended the broken relationship that we have with God. He removed the separation. He forgives us of our sins, and he restores us to himself in a way that we would not expect. And I would suggest that often the kingdom of God doesn't look like what we would expect it to look like. I think for John, part of what he expected Jesus to say was this. Hey, John's disciples, you go back and tell John that everything's going to be okay. I've got a plan. We're going to get him busted out of prison and not too long, and he can go back to doing what he's doing, right? Because that's what I would want to hear if I were John. Isn't that what you would want to hear? Hey, Jesus, don't forget where I am, right? Can you help me out? I've been doing a lot of good things for you. Could, could you get me out of this prison so I could go back to telling people about you? And yet, to be free from Herod's prison was not part of the answer that Jesus gave. It's very interesting to note that Jesus did not include part of Isaiah's prophecy, which reads, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners. That's the next verse in Isaiah 61 that he quoted earlier. But Jesus doesn't say that. In essence, he was saying to John, I'm the one, but you're not getting out of prison. It's not going to end the way you want it to. And then he says to them, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. When people went out to find Jesus, they expected to find a good man. They expected a prophet, a teacher who spoke with great conviction on issues of faith and with kingdom and and how to treat people. He even performed miracles. But when they found Jesus, they walked away and they discovered that he was so much more. They encountered so much more than they expected because Jesus was revealing to them who God truly is, his love and his grace and his truth and his mercy. And I wonder, for us, what do we expect? When we attend church, when when you came to PCC this morning, what did you expect? Did you expect a, a cute Christmas program? Check, right? We got it. Good job. Did you expect to sing a Christmas song or two? 
kids saying joy to the world, eh, okay, check, right? We got that one. Did you expect to hear a sermon? I'm almost done. Check, right? Do you expect communion and offering? Do you expect the Advent candle? Got that one. Do you expect decorations, people to be friendly, maybe even a warm cup of coffee, right? What do you expect? And here's the real question. When you were anticipating coming to PCC this morning, did you expect to encounter Jesus? In this season of Advent, do do you really expect his presence to be with you? You see, I believe that, that Jesus desires to be with us Right here, right now, he wants to meet with each and every one of us and us collectively as a body of believers. He desires that we discover him and we experience him and and we understand and we live in the love that can change our life forever. You see, here at PCC, our desire is to point you and to point everyone toward Christ. To like the prophets of old and the scriptures themselves, we strive to put our focus and our hope on God, on Christ, and on him alone. And in doing so, we believe that he is here with us, that his presence is here. And I wonder if you expect him to be here because he is. And he desperately wants to connect with you. And he's inviting you to do that. We worship in many different ways. One way that we try to do that collectively is through song. The band's going to come up, and and they're going to to provide us an opportunity to worship together. They're they're going to to give us an opportunity to focus on uh, melody and on songs and on lyrics that direct and point us toward Jesus, on God the Creator, and help us to, to anticipate His presence and to be aware that He is here, that He is with us. And over the course of the next couple of songs, if you desire to talk to someone about what it means to begin walking in a relationship with Christ, if you desire to talk to someone about just something going on in your life, if you have a prayer request, or if you just have a question you would like to have answered, I'm going to invite you to make your way over here toward the cross where uh, members of the leadership team, the prayer team, would be more than happy to meet with you, to pray with you, just to have a conversation with you as we anticipate God, as we anticipate Jesus being in our midst because he is here with us. So I'm going to invite you as a body of believers to stand together as we worship together. And if you want to talk to someone, make your way over to the cross. Let's stand.